So, you know, um, who all knows Luke Hazelmeyer? You guys know Luke? He's one of the pastors on staff with here. Been uh, one of my best, my best friend growing up. And he was actually leading worship here this morning. It was that guy. Well, this morning, you know, we're, we're talking about baptism. That's why I showed you this clip to uh, demonstrate that. I wasn't able to find any good pictures of when I was baptized, but I did find a really good one of when Luke was baptized. So let's take a look at that. Isn't that cool? So beautiful, you know? It's just a holy moment, you know? It's really awesome. <laughs> hey, good morning. My name is Wilson. I'm on uh, staff here at the Young Adult Ministry. And this morning, we're going to be talking about water baptism and uh, w- what it means, what we believe here at Vineyard Northwest is the significance of it, kind of how we practice it. We're going to look at like the history of baptism, because believe it or not, it started before, you know, uh, the Bible and it was like invented by Jesus. But uh, we're going to look at the historical precedents for baptism, look at what, what the Bible says about it. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what it means for us, right? That's pretty important. So... First thing I want to say, though, who all knows about Healing on the Streets? Cool. A lot of people. Healing on the Streets is a ministry we just kicked off from this church. Um, We do it every Saturday. We've done it for the past three Saturdays. So we just started it in uh, downtown on Main Street and over the Rhine. And uh, this is a ministry that was taught to us by a guy named Mark Marks. He's an amazing um, uh, evangelist and just speaker. And he came and trained us on this ministry, Healing on the Streets. The gist of it is we go to a like highly, like a place with a lot of uh, foot traffic. What Mark said was footfall. He asked me, hey, um, do you have a place in Cincinnati with a lot of footfall? I was like, what the heck are you talking about? He's English. So do you have a lot of footfall? Where's the place with a lot of footfall? That's where we need to go. Just like, what? Um, But so we set up downtown on Main Street and over the Rhine, right in front of an amazing ministry called Higher Branches. And... um, we set out four chairs, these like really nice uh, wooden deck chairs, and then two big banners that say healing. And we hand out a ton, of, a ton of flyers that say, hey, Jesus loves you. He wants to heal you just to show his love to you. Um, please come sit down in a chair and we'll give you free prayer. And uh, so we're just, people will just, we start handing those flyers out and people start coming. People come sit down. We pray for them, just love on them. Who all um, went down yesterday with me that's here? Awesome. Bunch of you guys. Who all just did the training? Just raise your hand. Who's here when, and did the training? Cool, man. That's awesome. This is going to be something I really think will change and affect our city. So it's really cool to be part of it. But a quick uh, story, a quick testimony from that yesterday. You know, it's really important that we constantly hear testimonies and stories of things that God has done, right? Like we need to remember that the Bible was just an invitation for us to get stories, you know, you're supposed to read stories about Jesus in here, stories about the apostles. And that's supposed to birth a hunger in you to see the same miraculous things happen in your life. You know, so uh, yesterday it's about, you guys know it was raining really bad yesterday morning. Like it was like a torrential downpour. Well, the, the rain lightened up uh, and we were able to pray for maybe like, I would say 12 to 15 people in the course of two hours came and sat down in the chairs um, to get prayer. Other people were prayed for just out and about as we were walking around. And one of the last guys that came and got prayer, his name was Glenn. He comes moseying down the street at about 145. And it's like, all right, here, this is, I guess this is gonna be the last one. You know, we're trying to wrap up and get out of there. So holy of us, you know, we just want to stay there all day. We're like committed to the cause. No, at two o'clock, you better believe I have torn every bit of that down and I'm inside like, nope, sorry, no more prayer. But 
So, so Glenn sits down in a chair and we're talking to him and he, uh, when, when we shook hands, he, I, I went to shake him, you know, like I, I went to shake him with my left hand for some reason. So he would have had to use his right hand. But, uh, as I went with my left hand, he just put his, his left hand out and we just kind of like did one of these numbers where he just awkward handshake. And I look and see that he's actually missing one of his fingers. I think he was probably kind of like ashamed of that or, or he was missing the tip of one of his fingers. It had been cut off. He would tell me in a lawn mowing accident. He had uh, reached down when he thought the spark plug was out, when he thought the motor was disconnected, but it wasn't. And uh, chopped all of these fingers off like, like that, like in that direction. So it wasn't the whole entire finger, but it was like the tips of all his fingers. They were able to reattach his pinky, ring finger, and middle finger, but his uh, pointer finger, they couldn't reattach the tip. So, you know, we're just believing God will do the impossible, right? Like God will... Jesus rose from the dead. People rose from the dead. What's different than surely God can grow the tip of someone's finger out, right? Like, so uh, we're just like, hey, we'd love to pray for you, anything you want. And he didn't ask for prayer for that, but that was like kind of all that stuff I was just telling you was going through the back of my head. And his finger, um, his finger wasn't his only problem, basically. He was living on the street. He had a lot of other kind of issues going on. Um, And, you know, he seemed like a, a really, really good guy, but just had made some I'm not even sure his whole backstory. So it wouldn't be fair for me to say he made some bad decisions. I don't know what all happened that led up to where he was. But he was kind of pouring his heart out to us about how he needed money to get into a program for City Gospel Mission and um, all this stuff. And kind of one of our values is that we just offer prayer. Like there's other times where from this church we offer financial assistance and we're all for groceries. But when we're downtown on, uh, on Saturdays doing heal on the streets, the point of us being there isn't really to meet people's financial needs or to give them food and stuff. That's amazing and that's really important. And maybe we should consider working that in somehow. But really the, the, the vision of it is to be praying and offering for God to touch people, for God to miraculously and radically provide for them. So I said, you know, man, do you have any pain in your body? And he kind of is looking at his hand and saying, yeah, you know, my back a little bit and all this stuff. So I said, well, hey, let me check your legs out. I wonder if one of your legs might be shorter than the other. Something we've been learning around here is that when people's backs get out of alignment, uh, one of their legs can kind of like slip up some. I'm not a you know, doctor or a chiropractor, so I don't know how it works. But their legs will get to be like a little bit of different lengths. And other people, like their bones literally are just different lengths. Like their femur and their tibia and fibula are different lengths in one leg than the other. Um, so what we've been seeing is God actually growing people's legs. We've seen people whose backs are out of alignment or just who are missing bones in their legs or missing chunks of bones after we pray for them, we'll hold their legs up and their leg will just grow out. Like it's, it's pretty crazy. If you don't believe it, I don't fault you because it was something that I kind of had to see to believe myself. But, um, I just had the sense that one of his legs was shorter than the other. So I said, Hey man, are one of your legs shorter than the other? He said, no, they're not. And I said, well, can I just check? Just like, you know, humor, humor me. So he's sitting in the chair. I lift his legs up and sure enough, his left leg is a half inch shorter than his right leg. You know, half inch is significant. Like, I don't know how he didn't know that. Like, <laughs> pretty big surprise on a Saturday morning. Your leg is shorter than the other. <laughs> so I'm like, well, hey, just, just look at me, man. I looked him in the eyes. I began to tell him, dude, Jesus loves you so much. With all of his heart, he loves you. He's pleased with you. He's not mad at you. You know, um, if, he walked, if he walked by right now, he'd give you a high five and a hug and just tell you how much he loves you. And as I'm telling him that, I, uh, I just move into saying, and right now, I just command this left leg to grow. 
In Jesus' name, left leg grow. Be the same length, bones, muscles, tendons, sinews, and everything else in there. Grow. Anything that needs to happen, grow out right now and be the same length in Jesus' name. And I kid you not, before my eyes, his leg just shoots out. Like, it wasn't like a growing process where it was like gradually, oh, more, more. No, it was like, boom, just there. And, and he uh, gets up and he's walking around. And, you know, all our faith is at an all-time high right now. He can't believe what just happened. So we're like, well, dude, let's pray for that finger. Let's just, you know, if God can grow your leg, he can certainly do the same with your finger. Let's just pray for that. So we just lay our hands on his hand and we just begin to pray like our best prayers, you know, like Jesus you know you can do this. We welcome just tissue to form. Bones grow. Finger grow out right now. Then I take my hand off and not, nothing's changed at all. It's exactly the same. I'm like, okay, no, don't get discouraged. So we pray again. Same result. Pray again. Same result. Nothing's happened at all uh, that, that we can see. And I go, and I hadn't been asking him. I'd just been looking. Like, I just see, okay, nothing's changed. Oh, nothing's changed. Actually, Diane right here was praying with me for this guy. And, um, then I had the bright idea, you know, to ask him what he was experiencing. Sometimes you get hung up when you're praying for somebody about what you're doing, when really, you know, it's about them. You know, when you're ministering to someone, when you're praying for someone, it's about them. It's not about you. And uh, trust me, I'm the first person that needs to be reminded of that. My wife will probably tell you that. Uh, but I said, well, what are you, what, Glenn, what are you experiencing? He said, you know, my finger feels really hot. And then he goes, he bends his finger just like that. And he's like, what? My, I can bend my finger. And I'm like, yeah, look at me. I can bend my finger. What? What are you like? <laughs> that's amazing. You don't need to like give me some pity right now, bro. Okay, that's awesome. He's like, no, you don't understand. They had to fuse all the bones together in my finger when the tip was cut off. They fused his finger in a set position like this so that it couldn't bend anymore. But after we prayed for him, he said he felt heat in his finger and he began to bend it. <laughs> so like yeah and for all we know his finger is still exactly the same it hasn't grown out but also we serve a pretty amazing God who loves to do crazy impossible things for all we know Glenn woke up this morning with the tip of his finger formed in there you know I'd like to I'd like to think that's possible I'm not saying that's what happened but we need to stretch ourselves you know believe for more right and so it, it was just a cool encounter with um, Glenn getting to see, hey, God loves me so much that he'll heal my back and grow my leg and, and, and fix my finger. So and now he can point at people, you know. So uh, it's really great. But I just want to encourage you guys that, hey, whether you were there praying with us or not, whether you did the HOTS training or not, you're a part of that, okay? As a, as a person who comes to Veer Northwest, as a part of this family, you get to share in that victory, Okay, you get to enjoy the like how God is being glorified. The people's bodies getting healed just as much as I do. All right. So I just want to bless you guys and say thank you for, um, you know, giving and, and the, your guys' gifts made it possible for Mark to come here and for us to launch this ministry. So really, thank you guys. But bringing it back to baptism, uh, I want to quote to you guys. You know, I, I did say, right, I did mention the topic of my uh, message this morning is baptism. <laughs> First service, I went way too long. So I'm like going to keep my eyes fixed on that clock back there. And you guys are just going to have to listen really well and probably re-listen this message because I'm going to go fast, okay? But 
this Wednesday, we're having a baptism service. And, you know, there's tons of different pictures that come to our mind when we think of baptism. Like maybe some of us literally picture something like that. Going down to the, you know, sweet old by and by to the river or whatever. Like, or, you know, other people have a memory of as a small child being dedicated or baptized or whatever. Some of us, you know, your main, pers- your main thought when you think of baptism is how we do it here on Sunday mornings. Where right here, if you hear, I'm going to jump on this. Hear that's hollow? <laughs> what if I just burst through? That would been awesome. Um, we, have, we have a tank right there. We get the whole band up here worshiping. And then we, people walk up these stairs and we dunk them. And we just rejoice. We are so happy. We're so excited. It's, it's more like being in a Bengals game, honestly, than what you saw in the Brother Art, that video. But this Wednesday, we're having a baptism service. So right now, I just want to talk about what baptism looks like. It's historical background. And the point of this is that if you haven't been baptized before, by being here and hearing this message, we would, it's an invitation to you to come and get baptized, okay, on Wednesday. So if you haven't been baptized before, I'm inviting you right now to come on Wednesday and get baptized. If you're going to do that, uh, come up here, Lee, you just want to stand up and wave really quick. Well, you saw her, she was doing um, announcements. She has some information to give you, uh, just a little bit of stuff for you to read and um, understand this week as you prepare to come, if you do. Uh, but even if you haven't been baptized, come and worship with us. It's going to be really fun. So that's what's happening Wednesday. Let's talk about baptism now. As if I haven't been talking about it. This guy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Who's heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer before? Oh, that's awesome. That's, that's a lot of people. I guess Cincinnati is really German, so it makes sense. But uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a German theologian. There's a picture of him right here. Pretty cool looking guy, right? Pretty intense. Well, he was intense, right? He was passionate about the gospel. He was passionate about understanding every drop of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So much so, he lived through World War I and World War II. He was born in Germany. During World War II, his peers and colleagues um, urged him to flee because they saw the Nazis rising to power and they knew it wasn't going to be good. He was taking a Um, Bonhoeffer was taking a real stance in the church against Nazism. He was encouraging the church to rise up and um, put down Nazism. Isn't that cool? That God was raising up in the church to to end that and to, and to, to keep that from happening. But, you know, we don't always get it right. We're not perfect. And so Bonhoeffer fled to the United States for like asylum and safety, you know, because he had a big target on his back. Well, while he was in the United States during World War II, he, he had this, um, like conviction from God that if he was going to be a part of rebuilding Germany, he had to be in Germany in its darkest hour. If he wanted to rebuild and to be part of restoring the beautiful, the beautiful people and beautiful um, land of Germany, he had to be with them when some of them weren't doing things that were so beautiful, right? So, I mean, right there, that speaks to the kind of guy this is, right? That speaks to how we should listen to his words, okay? Here's what he had to say about baptism. And by the way, he ended up being uh, put to death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer did. He paid the ultimate price. He was part of a plot to assassinate Hitler. He was caught and hanged before the war was over. So this is a guy that like put his money where his mouth was, like big time. Here's what he had to say about baptism. Baptism, what if I just started reading it in German? What would you guys do? <laughs> the sprechen, the bada. No. All right, so no. Luckily, this is translated in English. He was probably fluent in English. Okay. Baptism is not an offer made by man to God, but an offer made by Christ to man. 
In baptism, man becomes Christ's own possession. When the name of Christ is spoken over the candidate, he becomes a partaker in this name and is baptized into Jesus Christ. From that moment, he belongs to Jesus Christ. He is pulled from the dominion of the world and passes into the ownership of Christ. I love that so much. Baptism is not an offer made by man to God. How easy is it for us to want to do things for God? Isn't that easy? Don't we get stuck in that? You know what that's called? Religion. Religion wants to do things to God. A relationship receives from God. Baptism is not an offer made by man to God, but an offer made by Christ to man. Think about how profound that is. Coming from someone who did do extraordinary things for God. He did extraordinary things for God. He, he lived out an obedience that I admire and I hope to cultivate in my life. I don't necessarily want the opportunity he had, but like coming from a man that really lived out doing things for God. Like he was no slouch. He didn't just kick back and say, oh, you know, it's all from God. I don't need to do anything. Even he realized that the Christian life is lived from God towards us. The Christian life is lived in relationship with Jesus where he calls us, where he pursues us. He says, it says in John that he loved us first. Let me pray. We're gonna jump into uh, more of this baptism stuff. So Lord, thank you that you're the pursuer in this relationship. Remind our hearts of that this morning. Remind our hearts that you're coming after us, Father. And just speak that over everyone in this room. No matter where you stand with, the, with Jesus right now, whether you've known him forever, whether you're having a hard time with him, or whether you don't know him at all, hear this. He's coming after you. He'll never stop. He loves you. He's pursuing you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in order to appreciate more of... Um, what, what this ritual and this symbol of baptism means, I want to give you some historical context for it. You know, it's important to understand what baptism meant to the people who read this originally, right? Like, it means something to us today, but is that the same thing that it meant to people in Jesus' time? You got to ask yourself that question whenever you're reading the Bible. Is this what it would have, what would it have meant to the original readers and hearers? It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean something for us today. It just means that the, the place you start is understanding what it was intended to communicate, right? So baptism is an ancient ritual. It wasn't invented by Jesus or the apostles or John the Baptist. It's an ancient ritual that basically symbolized a dramatic change in life. It's something that um, people who are Jews and non-Jews alike, people who weren't Christians, worshiped whatever gods out there, would practice this ritual of baptism where they would dunk them, fully submerge them underwater, bring them out, and they would say, hey, I'm changing. I, have, um, you know, I used to be a boy, now I'm a man. I used to be a girl, now I'm a woman. Um, you know, like, I, maybe if someone moved to a new area of, of Israel or whatever, they would get baptized and say, hey, I'm starting a new path right now. This is the new me, I'm on a new direction, right? So it's an ancient ritual and symbol, and symbols and rituals kind of get lost in our culture today because we're not highly symbolic or ritualistic culture. But think of it like this. Um, when you blow out the candles on your birthday cake, you don't magically become that age, right? It's not like, 
whoa, I'm 22, <laughs> right? Like for me in a couple, in a couple weeks, it's gonna be 25. But in the same way, baptism isn't what like gets you saved, okay? Baptism isn't what gets you forgiven or saved, but it's a symbol of what has happened, of what has transpired. Does that make sense? So let me give you the, the definition of the word, or the, the Greek word that um, baptize comes from is baptizado. It means to emerge, to immerse, to submerge, or to overwhelm. This is a word that leather tanners would use. They would dip their leather in water, in water and oils, bring it out, and lay it out to dry. Okay? They would submerge it. That's what to baptize means. It means a submerging and immersion. And right there, just simply put, that's why we believe in full immersion baptism. Okay? That's how we practice it. I will, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying, though. I'm not saying that if you haven't been fully submerged, you're not baptized. Okay? That's, that's not what I'm saying. Like I said before, this is a symbol. Right? This is a ritual. So that means that the actions in and of themselves don't have the value, but what they represent has the value. Does that make sense? For instance, I knew a, a missionary couple who uh, spent 40 years in the Sahara Desert. 40 years in the Sahara Desert with nomadic Islamic tribes. And when, and, side note, their name, the guy's name was Cash Godbold. <laughs> Cash Godbold. Anybody out there looking for baby names, just get a pen out right now. Cash, middle name Godbold, all right? But uh, he, was, he was telling me how they would baptize these uh, nomads and the, the, these, uh, these Muslim people when they come into Jesus. Water is a, hot, is a hot commodity, no intended, in the desert, all right? They would dig a pit in the sand, put the person in the pit, cover them in sand, like a shallow pit. You know, it wasn't like... 50 feet deep or something. Um, you're all imagining like, what? They killed them? What? <laughs> they would put them in quicksand and they'd say, if Jesus is, no. They would dig a shallow, they would, really though, they would kind of like dig a shallow grave. They'd dig a shallow grave. It's highly symbolic, you know. Put the person in there, cover them in sand. And then I imagine when that last um, shovel full of sand landed on their face, they emerge up out of the sand, a baptized Christian. That's how they practice baptism. If you want to tell someone that that doesn't count, be my guest, okay? If you want to tell them that doesn't count because they weren't underwater, whatever. Um, but the point is, it's not exactly how we do it. It's what's behind it. That being said, we want to do it as close to it says in here as we can, whenever we can, right? So that's the history of baptism. You know, we baptize people in house group, House groups is a young adult ministry at this church, um, but it's welcome to anybody, anybody, whether you're a young adult or not. We have a very loose definition of what a young adult is, okay? Basically, you have to have a pulse, and that makes you a young adult. <laughs> you're welcome to come to one of these groups. There's been people before who've got so impacted on a Friday or Thursday night by God, they've been like, I need to be baptized right now. There's, there's a bathtub upstairs. What's keeping me from that bathtub? And the problem is some people are a little too long for a bathtub, but uh, we make it work. I wish I had like a picture to show you of us like putting all our, like shoving the person down under and splashing water on their face really quick. But it counts, man. It counts because it's, it's what's behind it. It's not the actual thing you're doing. It's what's behind it. Biblical beginning. 
Um, baptism started with John the Baptist. I told this joke first service. If you guys, A, are more awake, or B, like me, you'll laugh at this. John was so passionate about baptism that he changed his last name to the Baptist. All right. So you don't, you don't like me anymore, nor were you thinking that was funny. <laughs> so anyways, John comes on the scene. You know, that's not his real name, John the Baptist. He was just famous for baptizing people. So they actually would call him John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer. John was um, the last of a line of Old Testament prophets. What that means is um, God would raise up individuals before Jesus came to, uh, to share God's will and his word to the people. You know what's cool? When Jesus came, everybody got invited into that role, you know? But anyways, John the Baptist was the last of Old, Testament pro- of Old Testament prophets. He came telling everyone, you need to be baptized. You, you gotta do this. He was actually Jesus's older cousin by like six or seven months. So let's see what John the Baptist had to say about baptism. Let's look at um, Matthew three eleven. And, and to understand why he was doing it. Because cer- certainly, baptism changed after Jesus. You know, right? Like, Jesus changed everything, pretty much. And so, the baptism that John did, in fact, some people got baptized by John, and years later, um, the apostles who were with Jesus would come to them, and they'd say, we've never even heard of Jesus' baptism. We've only been baptized into John's baptism. And they would re-baptize them with the Holy Spirit, and then again with water, to show them the, the new thing that Jesus did. Behold, I do a new thing. So John, or Matthew 3.11, this is John the Baptist speaking. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I love that. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Um, But what he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. Repentance has a lot of connotation, right? Like when repentance comes up, we probably imagine somebody, turn or burn, you're going to hell, blah, blah, blah. But what repentance simply means is to change the way you think. Repentance, what that word in the Greek means is to change the way you think. And how many of you guys know that the key to changing the way you act is changing the way you think? If you want to sustain life change, it better start up here. Sometimes we need to just take radical actions. Don't get me wrong. Like sometimes we're not um, feeling it and we just have to take an action to, to say, hey God, I'm, I'm like, I'm still in. But the things that are sustained, the things that we have to give away to others are things we establish up here. And so, so repentance means to change the way you think. He was telling everyone, change the way you think and prepare your hearts because someone else is coming. I'm not the end game. I'm not the, the grand finale, you know? I'm not the main course. Someone's coming after me who has another baptism with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Prepare your heart for them. Prepare your heart for that truth. And we know the person he was talking about was Jesus and Jesus' baptism. So we actually see just a couple verses later that Jesus got baptized, Right there, I could just say that Jesus got baptized, walk off the stage, and that would be um, reason enough for you to get baptized, right? Like, how many know if Jesus did it, it's probably a good idea for us to do it too, (laughs) right? So here's the point where Jesus gets baptized. 
and Jesus got baptized, you know, for some, same, some reasons that are similar to why we get baptized and some that are a little different. So I'm just going to read through those really quick. But first, let's look at Matthew 3, 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. The first point, the first thing um, that Jesus' baptism symbolized was it was a point of life change. It was an inauguration for him into ministry. Before his baptism, he was a carpenter. He hadn't been working the miraculous. He hadn't been leading revivals in cities, which you know is what Jesus did, right? He would go into a city and heal every person sometimes. Everyone that came to him. We don't have a single account in here of someone coming to Jesus and saying, please heal me, and him not doing it. There, it find it. It's not in here. Every person that came to Jesus for healing, he healed. Before he did that, before he had ever entered into his ministry, before he had led revivals in towns, healed the sick, you know, um, preached these amazing messages, teach the word in a way that no one had ever heard, God was pleased with him. Before he did anything, God was pleased with him. You don't have to do things for God for him to be pleased with you. He's pleased with you because he loves you. His love is the measure of his pleasure. Okay? And his love never runs out. <laughs> That's the first point, is it was a point of life change. The purpose of baptism for Jesus was a point of life change and inauguration in the ministry. Second point, it was a time when he got filled with the Holy Spirit, a filling with power and anointing for ministry. This is a, this is a really key thing to get your head on. I'm not going to take, I could derail my message and preach this for, until my face turned blue. But the way Jesus did miracles wasn't out of divinity. It says in Philippians that he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he set it aside. What that means is Jesus didn't do miracles and heal the sick and raise the dead out of divinity. He did it out of the power of the Holy Spirit. And at this moment was when he had that filling, that baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is when he was immersed in that power. You see, if everything Jesus did, he did out of divinity and because he was God, then it would be great. Like, I'd still be happy and like, well, I'd still worship him and I'd still want to follow him and dedicate my life to him. But I wouldn't think that I could do any of it because I'm not, I'm not God. You know, I'm not born a virgin. I'm not sinless. But because Jesus did his miracles, because he accomplished his ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's an invitation to us. It's an invitation to us to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to do the same works he did. He said the same and greater works my followers will do. So that's the second point. It was, a Holy, it was a Holy Spirit infilling, a filling with power and anointing for ministry. Last thing, these are things that my dad, um, my dad's the lead pastor of this church, the, the senior leader. And these are the things he like really encouraged me to share was that it's a time when God the Father expressed his approval of Jesus. It was like a stamp of approval, a recommendation letter for Jesus. You know, how many know that the clouds parting in a voice from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's a pretty big, like, thumbs up. <laughs> like, hey, listen to him. <laughs> this is the dude, you know. Which again is just such a, such a 
a demonstration to us of the fact that Jesus is what we need to know about God. Okay, Jesus represents God to us. Anyways, I'm going to move on now to what does baptism mean for us, right? This is the clincher. Everything I've been saying so far has been context. Hopefully it encourages you and it spurs you. But when it really comes down to it, what does it mean for us today? What's the point of being baptized today? Why should I be baptized? What will I think about it? What will it mean to me? Two things I want to say. Baptism is a declaration to everyone that we are followers of Christ. I think that's his primary purpose because the, us being baptized today is the equivalent to Jesus picking you out of a crowd and saying, follow me. That, that's what Bonhoeffer was getting at was that it's not from us to God, it's from God to us. It's, it's a calling out, it's a being set apart saying, I'm following God. That's the, that's the first thing I think it is. Second thing is, it's a declaration to ourself that we are new creations, that we're forgiven, that we're redeemed, that we're righteous. Baptism is a symbol, but it's also a prophetic picture of a spiritual reality, okay? Baptism is a picture in the supernatural realm of what's a reality for us now, of who we are. It's, it's, it's to reverberate how God looks at us. He looks at us and he sees us forgiven, he sees us righteous. He sees us new. I'm going to talk more about that in a second. But just to wrap up my point about it being a declaration to everyone else that we're followers of Christ, let me read to you again what, what Bonhoeffer said. Bonhoeffer says, the baptized Christian, uh, this isn't... Um, this isn't going to be up there, whoever's doing slides. Don't. This is a different quote than I gave Sanjay. So you'll, they'll be confused if you put the other one up there is why I'm saying that. The baptized Christian has ceased to belong to the world and is no longer its slave. He belongs to Christ alone and his relationship with the world is mediated through him. The baptized Christian has ceased to belong to the world and is no longer its slave. Say this, I'm no longer a slave to the world. I'm no longer a slave to the world. He belongs to Christ alone. Say, I belong to Christ alone. I belong to Christ alone. And his relationship with the world is mediated through him. When I was 16 years old, I got baptized. And the main reason I got baptized was because I had quit smoking pot. Okay? I had been smoking pot a lot. And my dad had been saying, hey, you should get baptized, bud, blah, blah, blah. And I was like no, I don't want to, making all these excuses when really I just felt guilty. Like, how can I get baptized? I'm smoking weed. You know, that's kind of, that, that's not right. Um, and so I quit smoking weed eventually. I uh, st just really started to feel bad about it. That, you know, if you take a joint to a youth retreat when you're in high school, sometimes God will just really convict you and that'll like, kind of do the trick for you. <laughs> so I got really just like, okay, I, I can't do this anymore. Stop smoking weed. And I was like, okay, it's time to get baptized. And for me, I was getting baptized for the old covenant reason. I was getting baptized to say, hey, I've changed. Three years later, when I was 19, I got baptized again when I had really started following Christ, when I'd really accepted him into my life and really given my life over to him, I'd become an actual follower of him. And I kind of got baptized on a whim. I was actually baptizing other people 
with, uh, with another guy. And after we baptized the last one, we turned to start swimming ashore. We were in the Atlantic Ocean. And I'm like, hey, wait, guys, baptize me. And they dunk me under with really confused looks on their face and pull me back out. And we get to shore. And everyone's like, Wilson, why'd you get baptized? What's the deal? And I was like, because they knew I had been baptized already. And I'm, I just said, you know, I got baptized before because I had changed things about myself. But I'm getting baptized now because God has changed things about me. I'm getting baptized now to show others that it's not Wilson. It's not things I have done. I'm not offering this thing to God. He's given himself to me. He's given, he's given me new life. He's done something in me. It's a demonstration to others that you have been changed and you're following Christ. Well, I said it's a declaration that we're a new creation, that we're forgiven. I was talking about what Christ has done in us. If there's one thing I would wish, I would, I would want everyone to walk out of this room with, it's what I'm about to say, okay? The things I'm about to say for the next three minutes before we enter into worship again, these are things that just burn on my heart for everyone to know, for everyone to believe, for everyone to accept, for everyone to live by. And it's that you're new. You're a new creation. You are righteous. You are no longer a slave to the world. Listen to how Paul puts it in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Okay, what does that mean? We died, right? Well, let's look at um, 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. <laughs> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. My friends, this is not a verse just to post on your, on your uh, refrigerator to be encouraged by when you had a bad day. This is truth. This is 100% true. You are a new creation. You know, the word really is, is a new creature. A new creature. You're like a whole new line of species. You are more a spiritual being now than you are a human being. That's what it's saying. It's like your spirit has become alive in such a significant way that you are totally different. Let's look at a couple of verses further down. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that if anyone, or sorry, for our sake, he made him, this is talking about what God did to Jesus, okay? This is what the Father did to Jesus. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Hold on. Jesus? He made Jesus to be sin? What? Like, that's a whole nother message, okay? But this is what it says. Go read it in context for yourself if you want to understand it, all right? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So it's kind of like the pieces don't really add up, but I, it's clear what it equals, okay? It doesn't, I, I don't know how to explain that exactly. I don't know exactly what that means. It is very scriptural. It's, it's true that Jesus really took sin on to that level, that he became it. But you know what the result is? We became righteous. We became righteous. You know what righteous means? The way you're supposed to be. <laughs> the way you're supposed to be. I was just saying that we're new creatures. It says that Jesus was the last Adam. Jesus was the last human to live only under human rule so that new creatures could come. Are you with me? Jesus, Adam was one line of species. We're a new line. 
And, you know, you could hear weird things like there were aliens or something. I'm not, I'm not trying to create some new, new weird thought out there. But the point is that we've been seriously changed. We are seriously new. And this verse says, if you go back to 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that we became his righteousness. It says we might become the righteousness of God. Let me ask you something. Is it possible for God to be mad at his righteousness? Is it possible for God's righteousness to not be enough? Is it possible for God's righteousness not to cut it, not to suffice? You cut it. You suffice. He's pleased with you. He's not disappointed with you. In the same way that he's fully pleased with his son and with his righteousness, he's pleased with you. You're hidden in him. He can't see you apart from his son when you come into relationship with him. The good news, the gospel message is supposed to blow our minds so much that we're wondering if it's even true. You know, if the gospel makes perfect sense, then everyone will believe it. It literally takes faith to believe the gospel. You have to step out on them and say, okay, I'm going to believe this because it's your word and I believe you, God. I, I'm not totally seeing myself that way. I don't walk around always pleased with myself. Okay, guys, like, don't hear me saying that, that I've made it or something, but I know that God's pleased with me. And that matters more than what I think. God's pleasure with me matters a whole lot more than what I, you, or anyone else thinks of me. And that's what baptism is symbolic of. It's symbolic of that old man that wasn't good enough, dying, getting put under the water, and a new one coming out that's righteous that God is pleased with. Jesus, make this real to our hearts. Don't let us leave this room and live the same life where we are condemning ourselves, where we're guilty, where we're feeling shame. God, give us the faith to believe your gospel. I don't want to believe any gospel but yours. Just move on our hearts, God. We love you. And I just pray that everything that I said that came from your heart this morning would sink in deep. That would sink in deep past our minds and into our hearts. And anything I may have said that was off, just let us forget about that. Don't let anyone put anything that I said off on Facebook. In Jesus' name, amen.